0: Good morning, Um, uh, kiddos. You can be dismissed to the back uh, with your teachers. Go and learn to treasure and love Jesus back there. Um, We're going to be in Matthew 6 if you can go ahead and turn there today. A quick little just, uh, I want to share a little testimony very quickly. Uh, And it's small, but um, it was encouraging to me. Uh, we had one of those weeks this week, uh, I was sick on Tuesday, and then Tracy got sick on Wednesday, and it's Wednesday evening, and it's time for our missional community to go over there and gather and encourage each other, and uh, my wife, you know, feels so bad, she can't go, and she's sick, and I'm taking kids, and it's like a, it's just a heavy week, and go and uh, simply just share that with our with our little group, and uh, they pray for us, um, and send texts, and encourage, uh, and, and two things about that. Um, There was a real sense of joy in our household the past two or three days because the people of God were praying for us. I want to tell you something, prayer actually works. Prayer truly works. And the community of God lifts us up when we are down. And so um, this has nothing to do with my sermon at all today. um, But the people of God are here to encourage each other and to pray for each other. That's a beauty and a gift that we have as the family of God. Amen. Um, So Luke asked me to preach today um, as he is out of town. And... um, Is going to do a part two of a sermon from last week. So we're going to take a break from James today. And me and Luke were uh, discussing what's best for us to hear uh, from God's word uh, this Sunday. And we were talking. And in my personal study, um, I've been in the Sermon on the Mount for really a few months, just kind of like walking in that, living in that, trying to memorize that. And it's really kind of impacted my life personally. And then I've been in this series in our class on Sundays. really on this idea of being a disciple of Jesus and making disciples of Jesus. And we've been talking the past few weeks on this idea that to be a disciple of Jesus, uh, the first part of that is to grow in this competency of pursuing God. That if we are going to um, be a disciple of Jesus and invite others to be disciples of Jesus, the first and most important thing is that we must learn how to pursue God. And that's what got us to Matthew six today. And in Matthew six, give you a little context here. It is kind of right in the meat of the Sermon on the Mount. And um, in this, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is really is this message from Jesus of what his kingdom looks like. That he is primarily teaching his disciples, but there's crowds around that are kind of like looking on and watching. But he's really talking to his people, to his disciples of uh, "This is what my kingdom here on Earth can look like." And remember, his disciples um, were poor. The people he's talking to literally don't know where their next meal is coming from. They have a level of poverty that we in 2019 in the West, we just cannot understand. He gives a picture of what the attributes of people in his kingdom will look like, what the poor in spirits, uh, peacemakers, those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. He gives a picture of what his righteousness looks like. And we see in Matthew 5:20 that his righteousness it actually exceeds the law. It doesn't just fulfill the law, it actually exceeds the law that we're called to be a part of because The law he is writing is a law on our hearts. It goes beyond adultery and moves to lust of the heart, correct? Moves beyond murder and and goes to anger in the heart. It it goes to having a kingdom rule over our hearts. And so we're here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 6, we get like the big driving home point of this passage. And today, what we're going to do. It's going to be a little different today. I didn't put any scripture on the screens, and here's why. Today's message, if you've been in church at all, you've probably heard this thought, this idea, even this passage many, many times. Today's sermon is very, very simple. It is. But I'll tell you, it's very, very hard. And what I want to see today is the words of Jesus ourselves. I want you to be active going to your Bible, a Bible or a phone or a tablet, whatever your thing is, I want you to walk with me and to see the words of God from the Holy Scriptures. So today, let's let's go ahead and stand right now as we read Matthew 6. We're going to start in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father, he knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. You see be seated. When I read this passage, I can't help but think of a quote from C.S. Lewis. It'll be on the screen, I think. be on the screen. It's all good. It's not going to be on the screen. Just listen to me. Um, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. Write this down. This is the thought for the day, the main points. I could say this, we could go home, but we're not. Pursue God, everything else is secondary. Pursue God, everything else is secondary. Listen, this is hard to hear. Here, here's why it's hard to hear. Because what I am saying is, is for myself and for you, most of the things that we spend our days focusing on, worrying about, planning, fretting, ultimately don't matter. Is that fair to say? Right? A thousand years from now are the things that I'm worried about today going to matter? No. Will God's kingdom exist a thousand years from now? Yes. Here's a question. I had to do this week is I had to, because you, listen, you can't like walk in this text and prepare to preach these things and then not say, uh, spend really the whole week like, all right, what's going on in my heart with this? Like what in my life, what are the all these things, the secondary things that I spend my life pursuing? Like you, you, I had to do an audit this week and I'm not going to show you my audit or tell you my, that's me and God, that's between me and him. But it was painful, it was convicting, it was humbling. Um, And so what I want us to do before we jump into the text fully today, before we jump in all the way, is I I want you to do an audit of your life. I want you to ask yourself two questions. What am I really pursuing in my day-to-day life? What am I really pursuing in my day-to-day life? Second question what is that pursuit producing in my life i'll give you an example so if your life is full of you worrying about um, how are you going to pay your bills it's a normal normal pursuit not necessarily a bad pursuit but if your life is if that's what you're ultimately dreaming about planning for and pursuing at the end of the day what is that producing in your life so we're going to do we're going to close our eyes just for 30 seconds and for 30 seconds i want you to do an audit of your life. Ask God to reveal to you um, what those things might be. Let's talk with God, and I'm going to pray for us and for our, our text today. Dear Lord, as you have illuminated um, scripture and, and hopefully for pursuits in our hearts and our minds this morning, Lord. Let us be quick um, to not run from our sin and shame, but to run to you this morning. And Lord, let us just grasp who you are this morning. Let your word be illuminated in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Praise Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to, have, we're going to talk through basically two warnings of, about pursuing secondary things and two exhortations of pursuing the ultimate thing. So our two warnings. Let's go to verse 25 in our text. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. And here's the key right here. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Listen, our first warning today is we are made for more than secondary things. Isn't that true? We are made for much more than the secondary things that we give our lives to. I want to remind you again, he was talking to a crowd of people who were not sure where their next meal was coming from. But God said, seek first my kingdom. I will tell you, to a crowd of people who know where their next meal is coming from, seek first God's kingdom. We are made for more than secondary things. What Jesus does here, listen, we can't open this text, we can't jump in, and we can't not talk about money for a second. It's not the focus today, but Jesus uses money as this um, litmus test, as this way for us to evaluate our pursuits, where our where our um, allegiance lies. He uses money to bring these things out, to draw attention to what we're truly seeking and pursuing. Then he goes from money to what money produces. Look at verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Money, right, produces Food for us to eat for our families That's a good and a right thing. Look at, 20, look at 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Neither toil nor spin. We, we work and we get money to provide comfort and protection and clothing and housing for our family. Those are good and those are right things. But let me tell you, those are secondary things. And what he is doing here, he's going beyond money to what the real problem with money is is that we believe that these things provide security over the security of what our Father provides. Jesus' warning against trusting something else will secure what only God can secure. I am not saying quit your job and trust God. That is not what all of Scripture says. But it does say do not make your job and your finances and what you provide the pursuit of your life. That's a key distinction, isn't it? Here's the hard part is that we live in a world that is constantly, constantly telling us this. These things are the point and should be the pursuit of your life. These things will bring you joy. These things right here, these secondary things are the point of your life. And if you think I'm wrong, go look at the marketing budgets of any company in the world and the billions of dollars to convince you that secondary things are the pursuit of your life and that secondary things will ultimately produce joy and happiness in you. Listen, you don't see a vacation ad with people being miserable, do you? You see this blissful, heaven-like place, don't you? It is a subtle message that our hearts, that my heart tends to believe. Many times, I will tell you, I'll confess to you right now, in the, in the stressful of us days, I will think, where are we going on vacation next year? I start like Googling like, oh, family vacations or really a couple vacations more than anything. And it's like what is next? And what happens in that moment in a functional way, aren't, I am seeking secondary things, right? Instead of doing the work that God has for me, I'm seeking secondary things. And this world tells us that these things are the purpose of your life. They're the purpose of your life. That the purpose of my life is to accumulate more and more things, or to have great hobbies, or do this, or do that. Let's go to Matthew 6, um, right above this, verse 19. Jesus says here, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's go to verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will not be devoted, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Here is the thing you cannot serve God and money. Two phrases jump out at me here. The first is do not. Do not lay up treasures. Do not lay up treasures. He is teaching us here, do not lay up things here on this earth that will not last. It will literally wither away. So recently, my my grandmother's been put into a nursing home. And with that comes uh, all the stuff, right? And I went to my grandma's house Friday with my mother to look at things and help Pack some things, and we're in this 2,000-square-foot house full of stuff. I'm not saying stuff is wrong, but I'm telling you, this is what we're doing with the stuff. We are throwing it away or giving it away. Eighty years of stuff built up is being thrown away or given away because the stuff of this world, it will wither away. It will. You know this, don't you? We know this. We do not live as if we know and believe this. But this stuff is not coming with us. It's not just stuff, though. It's not just stuff. I, was, um, I went to LSU game yesterday, and um, that's why I'm a little sunburnt. I don't naturally tan, if you didn't know that or not. Um, but, uh, and so we're at the game and uh, driving home. And, you know, LSU hasn't been in Alabama like in 10 years almost and uh, LSU is very good this year, and we were talking. I was talking to my wife last night, and like, she asked me, do you think there would be Alabama this year? I said, well, they really could. And I started thinking about it. So say LSU beats Alabama. Everybody's so excited in Louisiana, right? We're cheering. We're throwing parties. It is phenomenal. It's great. Guess what? We're playing Bama next year, too, and the next year, and the next year, and the next year. And these things that we give our attention to, our money to, chief of sinners right here, all these things, I can't begin to describe how pointless they are in light of a kingdom and eternity. Does that make sense? And that part of the beauty of the church, we come together because we live in this world that screams us all the time, this thing, this thing, this thing. Seek these things. They'll produce joy. They'll produce steadfastness. They'll produce hope for eternity. And they can't possibly do this. And Jesus is saying, but seek first my kingdom. These things will wither and go away. The second thing we see in Matthew 6, 19, no one can serve two masters. We live in this world we feel like... Um, we can dabble with some of these things, right? That we can dabble with kind of being like the world in some of these ways, that we can kind of serve this master. We can at least play with this master, correct? I, heard a, um, I read a book years ago called The Kingdom Matrix, and he said this idea that there are only two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And when we are walking in this world, we're either walking in the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. But we think there's three kingdoms. there's one of light, of darkness and of gray. And we think living and walking in the kingdom of the gray, that if we live our here's what I'm, I'll give an example of. and if we live our lives in the, the pursuits of the American dream as the ultimate pursuit of our life, security, wealth, we can retire one day and be done with all these people. If that is our ultimate pursuit and we think that's okay, we're entering that kingdom of gray. And I will tell you though, the kingdom of gray ultimately is the kingdom of darkness if we're seeking that kingdom first. And here's how I'll know this. When it comes to sexual ethics, we are very clear. There's a black and there's a white. And that is right. That is good. We should not change it as a church of God. But when it comes to our stuff, there's a lot more gray, isn't there? It's, it's my stuff. We stop being black and white about the kingdom of God. And it starts being very, very gray because many times we are seeking first our own kingdom, our own reward. Yet we're seeking this over and over and over again and it's not producing what we think it's going to produce. Look at 1 Corinthians 6. Turn there very quickly. 1 Corinthians 6. Little Bible drill this morning, I like it. First Corinthians six verses nineteen. We are made for more than secondary things. This is what Paul is saying here. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. He's speaking here about sexual morality. That that our body, our life is not about our own pleasures. Not our own thing. Our body, our life is for the glory of God. And I will tell you, living your life for the glory of God is much greater. It's much greater. There's much more joy, much more life found in that than pursuing these other things. And it is the battle of belief in our hearts that weighs in us day in, day out. We've exchanged the beauty and the joy of living for God's glory for lesser secondary things. As bright as a shiny new iPhone and and a new home or a new car or a great vacation, as shiny and as great as those things are, they are not as beautiful and great and grand as the glory of God. Now, I'm not saying that homes and things and vacations are bad. They're not. God gives his children good gifts. We see that in Matthew 6. He takes care of his children. That is right and that is good and that is as an amen. But the question is, are we making secondary things primary things in our life? And for each of us, there will be a different answer and a different way we're making secondary things into primary things. So first warning, we are made for more than secondary things. Second warning, anxiety is our tell. I don't play poker, but you know that the phrase in poker, they have a tell. You can tell when they are doing something, when they have good cards or bad cards, I think. that there's a tell. I will tell you, what we're seeing here in this text, and it's true in our life, when there is anxiety built up, When we are feeling anxious, that is our tell that we're pursuing secondary things, correct? Because I will tell you, if you pursue kingdom work, if you pursue God and all of his glory, it'll be hard. I am not going to lie to you. Jesus says that over and over again. There will be suffering. There will be trials. You will literally die daily for my kingdom. It's a part of following him. But what you will not have is anxiety in his kingdom. There's not fear in his kingdom. There's not worry in his kingdom. Listen, we're not anxious because we don't trust God on on a few levels. Um, The first is we don't trust that he is powerful enough, capable enough to take care of our needs. Is that true? That ultimately that we pursue secondary things, give our life to secondary things, because we believe if we truly followed what Christ has for us and whatever he's called you to do, that you will miss out on something. We don't trust that God is powerful enough. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Here's the key. Are you not of more value than they? Verse 30, if God clothes so clothes, the grass, the field, which today is alive, tomorrow, and is thrown of the oven, will he not much more clothe you? We don't think God loves us enough to care for us. We feel like God's either not powerful enough or he's too distant and not present in our lives, and he won't take care of our everyday needs. We don't trust that he'll take care of his children. And here's where I think most of us are, this third thing. We are anxious because we have made secondary things into primary things, and that always leads to anxiety. We have made secondary pursuits into primary pursuits. And the equation there is going to be anxiety because what you're always seeking after is not producing the joy and the hope in your life that you thought it would when you first sought those things in a primary way. They can't possibly fulfill you. It's like eating cotton candy for your meal every day of your life. You're always gonna be hungry and probably really sick, right? That's the natural consequence of living life that way. The consequence of living a life for secondary things will be anxiety. I read this this week and it just blew my mind. We live in the most prosperous time, most entertained time, the most self-help, quote-unquote, wise time in the history of the world. The APA ran a poll on 1,000 U.S. residents in 2017. And they found, this is incredible to me, that nearly two-thirds of people were extremely or somewhat anxious about their life. Two-thirds of the people in this poll. And then it went to say that in 2018, the same poll was repeated and anxiety was shown to have risen by another 5%. And listen, I am not saying mental health is not a real thing and that there are, there are real issues with people. That's a real thing. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that two-thirds of our country should not be anxious, should not be worried about their security. Is that fair to say? But what we're seeing here in, in the kingdom culture of our world today is a culture and a kingdom that cannot sustain itself, that ultimately we buy into this culture, it will lead to a lesser life. To not the abundant life we're promised in Christ Jesus. So earlier we, we, we stopped and we prayed and asked God to reveal to us um, things that we we're pursuing in our everyday. But right now I want you to ask yourself this ask yourself this what things in your life that are primary pursuits that need to be secondary pursuits? There are things in your life that right now are primary that need to be secondary. Only you and God know these things. But I would encourage you today to, to, to walk with these things, to wrestle with these things. The primary, the, the primary things that should be secondary. That's our two warnings that we are made for more than secondary things, and that anxiety is the tell. It's the tell that shows us we're pursuing these lesser things. But two exhortations for pursuing God. Two encouragements, two directions for us pursuing God. Here's the first one. Only needy people pursue and inherit the kingdom of God. Only needy people will find God's kingdom. Not people who have all their stuff together together. Not people who trust in their own ability, their own bank accounts, their own pursuits, their own wishes, their own plans. Those people will not inherit and receive the kingdom of God. The gospel is not good news to needy people. It's only good news if you actually need something. If you're fully self-sufficient, you have no need for God, correct? That's an illusion. But if we feel that way, we have no need for God. And we see it here in Matthew 6.33. It says, seek first the kingdom of God. It's seek first the kingdom of God. And that word first tells us so much about God's kingdom. Because when you're needy, when you are desperate, nothing else matters. The little rocks of secondary things don't matter. Listen, when you are caught in sin in your marriage, the little things do not matter, do they? The big rocks of the grace of God and his kingdom are what really matters. When you get that phone call about sickness, the lesser things don't matter anymore, do they? Because you're needy. Because you need a greater hope than lesser things can provide. Jesus spends so much of his ministry describing and teaching this picture of his kingdom in the Gospels. Let's go to it. Matthew 5, 3. We're right there. This starts his Sermon on the Mount of how you, the first attribute of his kingdom is this right here. You've heard it before. Blessed are the poor in spirits, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's blessed are the people who recognize their eternal and their ultimate need. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 5-6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Look at Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28 beautiful picture, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. For those who can't do it anymore, that have no hope outside of the hope of God, come to me. Matthew 13, 44, the great kingdom, the great treasure king, uh, parable. There we go. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up, then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. That's a picture of seeking his kingdom first, of a needy person seeing that this thing is greater and I need and want this. Matthew 18, 3. Truly I say unto you, unless you turn and become like children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven over and over in the ministry of Jesus he's saying we must become needy weak and low to enter his kingdom and I'll tell you like I said the gospel is only good news to needy people and I see this as a pastor, this is why deathbeds, and prisons, and people caught in their sin, is many times the most authentic and, and true worship and discipleship that I see as a pastor. Because, you know, we're a, a church full of people who kind of have our stuff together on some level, or what we think that we do. And this is why last Sunday was so powerful when Luke had us all stand up about things we've struggled with or suffered through. There was this powerful moment where we exposed our brokenness, correct? And it's because God only works when we are fully needy. And we can't begin to pursue God at all until we are totally brought low. This is true in my life. Many of you are here and taking steps of faith through great trials and great pain. Is that fair to say? That you can list me things that have happened in your life that have brought you down and made you low but have made you closer to Christ. And I guess the question I have for us we move forward is what will it take in your life? What event will it take in your life for you to become desperate and needy for God? What is the, what is the thing? Is it your money being taken away? Is it you getting sick? Is it losing a job? Is it something happening in your house? What is the thing that God will have to discipline you with to make you needy and desperate for him? Here's my prayer. Is that I pray today that the good news of Jesus exposes our love for secondary things. And that today is the day of repentance. Today is the day that we are made desperate and needy through the word of God, and not that God have to crush us in order for us to trust and depend on him. So first exhortation, only needy people pursue and inherit the kingdom of God. Second, we pursue the kingdom of God by faith. We pursue and enter his kingdom by faith. Let's go to Mark 1. Mark 1, verses 14 and 15. This is the start of Jesus' ministry. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And here's the response. Repent and believe in the gospel. The way that we pursue God is through faith, is repenting. It's seeing that we're pursuing lesser things, secondary things, repenting, turning away from those things, and believing in the greater thing. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we see, and I pray today, we see that we're pursuing secondary things. And that we don't see those things and, and just kind of cocoon into shame. But instead we repent and we turn and we run to and believe in and trust in and thank God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the songs we sing, correct? We sing those songs about running to the cross and thanking God for the cross. But are we functionally doing that with our our sin, with our secondary pursuits? But here's the big key. This faith is not about what you do. Here's what I mean. Many times we will see that we'll, we'll do this. We will be convicted of pursuing secondary things. And we will turn away from those things, but we'll just turn to more works. So we spend our money um, for ourselves and unwanted. So we turn to uh, tithing or giving other people money. And that's a good and a right thing. But I will tell you that doing those things is not pursuing God by faith. That's pursuing God by saying, look what I'm doing for you, God. And listen, everything was accomplished for you by Jesus Christ. Your job is to repent and turn away and run to him. And then all these things shall be added unto you. God will complete the good work he is doing in you. But turn to Christ. Do not turn to your good works. Does that make sense? There's a big but a subtle difference there. We enter his kingdom by receiving his righteousness by faith. It's not by our righteousness, but by his righteousness through faith that we receive and enter his kingdom. But here is just a a big key. Faith is not a one-time act where you, 20 years ago, put your faith in Christ Jesus. Faith for Christians is like breathing. So when life starts in a mother's womb, there's breathing, I think. I don't know that. At some point, breathing starts um, in a baby. But a baby doesn't breathe once and they're done, do they? We continue to breathe over and over and over again. Listen, repentance and faith is the breathing of the Christian life. And you will never get to a point when you don't need to breathe. We will constantly, over and over and over again, this is the beauty of the Christian life. That ultimately, hear this, pursuing God is about you turning away from lesser things And pursuing the greater thing over and over and over and over again. You don't do this once. You do this a million times every day. It is the pattern of pursuing God. And we must learn. This is what discipleship is. We must learn honestly how to hear how God is convicting us of sin. And responding with obedience and faith in his gospel. That is the secret sauce of Christian life is repenting and believing over and over and over again. So here's my question for you today. Would you, if you're doing an inventory or an audit, as we said earlier, is repentance and faith a normal act of your Christian life? When you think about pursuing God, do you think about turning and believing in the gospel? Because that must be the center of what we do, is repenting and believing in the gospel. And we have these practices of the Christian faith that are not removed from this act of repentance and faith. Here's what I mean. We go to God's Word to see who God is, to be convicted of believing in lesser things, and then we turn to God. That is the purpose of reading God's Word. It's pursuing Him in relationship. It's not just reading an old book to learn about God. That's a great thing to have, but it's not an ultimate thing. We go to the Bible to find God and to pursue God through repentance and faith. Then we talk to God. As we talk to him, we talk to him and we confess our sins. And we declare to him that we believe in his goodness. So we must, have, we must learn the practice of reading God's word for what it truly is. We must learn the practice of going to God In prayer and confessing our sins and believing in the gospel and praying for others. But we also must learn this practicing in John 15 of abiding with God. If we're talking about, um, how do I say this? If we're talking about living a life of not pursuing lesser things, we have to have time every day where we're disconnected from the lesser things of this world and fully dialed in plugged in and abiding in the vine, correct? Let's go to John 15. Let's look at in God's word, not just for me. Go to John 15. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that he does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Here's what I want to talk about for a minute. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. There has to be time in our life, I would say time in your every day, where you unabide in the world and abide in Christ. Because we are, we are painfully unaware, myself included, at how much the voices of the world dictate our pursuits, correct? So we have to learn the practice, the discipline of literally getting away from everything in the world and getting with just you and God and and literally abiding and sitting with him and doing the the real soul work of repentance and faith. That is is how we pursue God individually. We see this in Jesus, right? He was a son of God, made flesh, right? Right? And he still himself withdrew to abide and be with the Father. We follow in his footsteps. That's how we pursue God. And this is why on your cards, I don't have a card with me right now, on your little connection cards, we have a little phrase on there, what is God saying to you? It's not there by accident. It wasn't like a, a typo one day. It is there because it's right here. When God's word is preached, When God's word is sung about on a stage, when we partake in the family meal and declare that his his body was broken for us, his, his body was shed for us, we declare those things and believe God's word, all those things, right? I'm going to tell you something. As a follower of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit will illuminate through his word sin in your life. That is how we say God is speaking to you, right? Not some flippant thing where I thought God said get this parking spot. I am talking about the Word of God illuminating through the Holy Spirit in your life, convicting you of sin. Not in a shameful way, but in a way that it's calling you to greater and newer life. And so on that card, if you're bold enough to to write down the things that God is speaking to you and saying to you and convicting you of, it it is our joy as a staff to pray for those things, and to partner with you in what God is doing in your life. Because one of the greatest lies of the enemy is that we think that we're alone, or that if we expose our sin, that we're somehow going to be pushed away. It's not true. We say this all the time that, you know, it's, it's, um, it's okay to not be okay, right? What is, what is, uh, is Matt Chandler, I think, he says okay not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there, right? We must expose our stuff so that we can pursue God together. Repent of the secondary things, believe in Christ, and pursue him. Because remember, as we said at the very beginning of the service, pursue God. Everything else is secondary. And the question for us today, what are the secondary things in your life that are driving your life? Let's pray. Dear Lord, You're good to us even as we um, are not steadfast ourselves. Even as we sin, even as we are foolish, even as we pursue lesser things. So Father, forgive us today of those things. Lord, I ask that you make myself and you make us Um, truly desperate and needy today and as we're truly desperate and needy Father we'll see our need for you and that we'll run to you and pursue you with abandon Father you're good to us we love you let our response through worship and obedience glorify you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.